0: Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Laura and Chris Spade. Laura and Chris are a married couple who each have lost over 100 pounds in excess weight by following the carnivore diet. Today, we will dive deeper into their carnival diet, success story, and journey thus far. Laura and Chris, thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having us, Gary.
1: Thank you, Gary. Yeah, and uh, for anyone listening to this, it's Chris's birthday today, so we have to say happy birthday to Chris.
0: Cool thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
2: you, Gary.
1: Yeah, so for birthday celebrations, what was it then?
2: Uh, We actually went to a Brazilian steakhouse, which is... uh, pretty much our go-to for going out to eat these days. Um, and I probably ate about three pounds of meat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what was the kind of meat? Was it a variety or did you just
2: get something? Oh yeah. Um, mostly beef. They bring you all kinds of different cuts mm-hmm. um, to come by the table and carve it off onto your plate. And uh, I had the majority was is which is one of my favorite. And also a lot of, uh, ribeye, New York strip, um, sirloin, other cuts of meat, some pork.
0: We're regulars there. So they, they, we walk in and they know our family and take us to our regular table. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Well, um, yeah, what I want to, I mean, if anyone's already followed you or if they haven't followed you, um, in the intro there, I mentioned how you both lost a tremendous amount of weight. Um, and We're now in January of 2020 and you can see you've maintained it, which again, having listened to some of your story, that's an amazing task in itself to have maintained that weight loss. So for so long too, um, I'd like to also just introduce people then just briefly, because you've got some great videos on your YouTube channel that I'm going to be linking to, too for people, but, um, you, you come from a background, even of trying veganism, Ketogenic diet, low carb diets. Um, how have you? What maybe? What are some of the key things that you found very different comparing those diets to where you are now and why you're sticking on the carnivore
2: diet?
0: I think I mean um, Chris jokes that his favorite food was always steak, so that and he hated vegetables.
2: <laughs> I've never liked vegetables. I never tried vegan. I never would. <laughs> but uh, I definitely tried a lot of uh, strategies. And the biggest thing with carnivore has been just not being hungry. And, uh, you know, when you try to restrict so much, the hunger is difficult to overcome.
0: And I think that was a lot of it for me too. I, you know, I did try being vegan for a while, um, as looking for, or just a plant-based diet, I guess, thinking that that was what was healthy and was hungry meal prepping constantly, um, eating every two or three hours. And it wasn't sustainable for me from a financial standpoint, it was really expensive to eat that much and that often, and you know it didn't make you feel good it was leaving you hungry all the time and the same thing with traditional low carb diets i was still being triggered by the sugar and the carbs that were in those diets and it wasn't satisfying for me physically so it really was a com- the worst of both worlds where i was hungry and i was still getting triggered by the carbs and sugar that made me want those foods even more so
2: or even the artificial sugars like yeah. in the keto treats and things like this that don't address the Desire to have those kind of things, which I think is something we're we still work on to this day. But mm-hmm. um, abstaining from that is much easier than um, treating yourself to even even though it's not real sugar, um, you're still perpetuating those habits. Mm. So, the,
1: so it sounds like um, one of the key differentiators is that if you're susceptible to going off track because there are treats in these other diets too. Whereas in the carnivore diet, you don't get that option um, typically from what, I I mean, we could probably get into how some manufacturers do maybe lace meat a little bit like beef jerky where they add things and you have to look for a more cleaner version of jerky sometimes because I've I've noticed that when you're looking at jerky jerky nutritional stuff, have you found the same by any chance?
0: Definitely. And I think over time we found our interest in those was a lot less. We might've eaten traditional beef jerkies in the beginning when now... You know, neither one of us would go buy beef jerky from store. It doesn't taste as good to us. And then also we are more concerned now with um, sugars like that. So we'll make our own or look for something that's cleaner ingredients. But it's you definitely your tastes change and you want things that are much more clean and more simple, you know, over time.
1: Mm-hmm. So who was the person who introduced carnivore to your marriage?
2: Probably me. <laughs> So we started. We started our journey. Um, we knew. We knew we both wanted to to lose the weight, and we knew we had to do something.
0: We had yo-yoed together a lot. We yeah. lost weight together and gained weight together. We were always in that same cycle together.
2: Yeah. And so when we we knew low carb worked, it we had done that before. So we started doing that, um, which kind of turned into more of a keto, and then. I would force myself to eat some broccoli when she was looking or some spinach or whatnot when she was looking just because I didn't want to get that eye. And uh, then I found the carnivores online. You know, I, you know, I'm, I love to do research as far as, you know, YouTube and the internet, just looking at different successful strategies out there, the science behind it. You know, I kind of geek out on shows like yours and things like that. And and I started seeing Sean Baker, you know, Jordan Peterson started doing it, a bunch of other um, people. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have to eat this stuff. And then I just came home one day and said, I'm done. Just give me the steak. And uh, she saw how well it worked for me. And then I will let her tell that.
0: I think I still was not quite convinced and thought I, you know, made fun of his podcast listening and stuff for a while. And um, and I, I ended up just because of the nature of my week had n- eaten nothing but meat for a week uh, and had a big salad at the end of the week and realized how terrible I felt just having that salad and all those lettuce and vegetables again. And I was like, okay, maybe he's not crazy and started looking for podcasts and YouTube videos myself and found people like Kelly Hogan who had gone through similar things um, like myself and really started realizing that it wasn't just like his excuse to not want to eat vegetables, and um, realized not only did I feel better, so the minute I cut out the vegetables, a lot of my digestive issues and cleared up, and other problems that I had been having started clearing up. Not to mention, I ended up breaking like a weight loss stall. Like I had been stalled out for a pretty substantial amount of time um, losing, and instantly started losing again the minute I cut out all the vegetables and salads and dressings and sauces and sugar like even just the nuts like we were probably macadamia nuts was like the last keto thing that i held on to before i got rid of it and just cutting that out instantly i started losing weight again so i was totally a believer by that point
1: so do you think it's important then now because you've both been carnivore for well over a year now i think maybe 16 months year and a half at least by now um I, I mean, I can relate to you, Chris, to being a male that yeah, you, you think, yeah, I'm just going to eat meat and it should be a simpler thing. But, you know, Laura, do you think it's important then for other ladies out there who w- maybe want to try carnivore? We're in World Carnival Month again now this year, that they need a, f- a female mentor, like a female figure to go, yeah, it's okay for women to eat just meat.
0: It definitely helped me. I don't know if I hadn't heard a few key women, um, you know, Kelly Hogan. And then also I listened to Pamela Kenny talk about her story on the Carnivore Cast. And those two really clicked for me. And then listening to Amber O'Hearn. And I, I definitely needed a female voice to resonate with me. I think one of the very first things that I started doing on Instagram was for 30 days I did, here are 30 podcasts of women that inspire me on the carnivore diet and, you know, or people that have helped me. And I did that, you know, once I started sharing a lot more openly on Instagram and it was just, some of it was the same people, but you know, it really helped, I think, bring a lot of women awareness around carnivore. And I was just binge listening to anything and anybody that I could find, especially women. And that's a lot harder to find in the, in the carnivore world. So, um, especially a year ago, there wasn't, as much that was out there. Um, now there's some really amazing women that have come out in the last year, um, but.
2: I think culturally too, women are conditioned that yeah. they're supposed to eat the salad and not have the big piece of meat and whatnot. So there's, when other women can see somebody that just sits down with two pounds of steak, mm-hmm. goes to the town and it might open up some, some of their eyes a little bit and say, well, maybe I'll try that.
0: Yeah, it, it, was, it's, not, it yeah. definitely is terrifying. I think when you are an overweight woman to sit down and eat a lot of fatty meat, like that would have, I think I was already had some momentum going with weight loss. And so I saw benefits right away from it, but I don't know. It would have been a lot harder for me at my heaviest weight of 260 pounds to just sit down and eat two pounds of steak and feel confident about it and not be worried about getting judged because I would have been really terrified about it. Once you lose a hundred pounds and you sit there and eat two pounds of steak, who cares what people say, you know, that you look good and that, you know, you're healthy and you know, the, the results, but to start my journey like that without other people that have helped, you know, pave the way or without people to give me confidence, that would have been a a lot harder. Mm.
1: So how do you feel now being a mentor for other women
0: now? I mean, it's definitely, I, I still don't think it's kind of clicked yet. Uh, I'm coming up on one year of just sharing things on Instagram and um even you know only been about six months on on YouTube and it still kind of gets me a little emotional when I hear people that have, you know, been able to make changes and improvements in their family. And I think what gets me the most is when people talk about what they do for themselves, but also that how they're changing what their kids eat. Like that really means a lot to me. Um and more than anything, I will say it's really keeps me motivated. Like I don't want to let people down, which maybe there's some bit of unhealthiness that's in there, but I really use it as positive reinforcement for me and motivation. Like I want to show people that this is possible long-term and that, you know, if I can, I know what a terrible place that I came from with emotional issues with food, things that I still struggle with. I still struggle quite a, um, with eat for, and it keep me motivated. When and when I know that people are are looking at me for um, some sort of encouragement, it keeps me on track.
1: <laughs> and have you had any other married couples reach out to you? Because again, you know, it I guess with a lot of diet success stories, it tends to be an individual. But there's two of you here, and again, not even just the two of you. You've got children, and you've you know you're living the lifestyle as a family here. So I'm I'm thinking you two must be an inspiration for other families out there who are looking to integrate this into their lifestyle?
0: We hope so. I think there's some, you know, definitely some couples that have started sharing their stories and, you know, tagging us in their stories on Instagram. Um, but I don't know. I know there's people that have inspired us and families that that do this, that inspire us regularly. I don't know of any, um, not tons of, what about you? Tons of families.
2: You've had some messages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say that they've been, trying it because of us.
0: I get a lot of husbands that message me that say they've convinced their wife or their girlfriend by sending them my pictures and my YouTube videos, or, you know, I've been doing carnivore forever and I send her your YouTube video. Um, We also share my mom's story. My mom has kind of joined us in this carnivore life. And so I get a lot of people messaging me saying, Um, thank you so much for sharing your mom's story. I sent this to my mom or my mother-in-law or I'm her age and I didn't think it was possible for me in my, you know, 60s to be losing weight on carnivore or that it would be helpful. And so I know that's been amazing for her and for her health, but also I think that is a completely untouched market where there's a lot of women um, who are postmenopausal, who are looking for answers for their health and would never think of an all-meat diet. And I know I'm really proud of my mom for being open enough to share her story uh, in this way too, because this is definitely a lot more out of her comfort zone than it would be for me.
1: But yeah. I mean, I can only imagine women who've probably go through maybe 40, 50 years of different diets over the, that time frame and lived through the 80s with a low-fat phase and all these other different phases. And and here comes their daughter and Sally says, Mom, eat meat. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. Don't
2: listen to your doctor eat
0: meat.
1: Yeah. 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 So actually I just want to touch a little bit on the the family aspect of things. How have your kids reacted to just watching you you two only eat meat? Um they and, and especially because you, I don't know if both of you do it, but you tend to be OMAD, like one meal a day scenario too. So I'd, I'd just like to find out how, how do you work that in that with the family dynamics where typically the kids would have a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner, but you don't eat with them.
0: One of the things that we talk about with the kids is like, well, they don't eat snacks, so they get breakfast, lunch, and dinner typically. Um, and we will sit and eat with them, or you know we'll be in the kitchen and they're eating breakfast, and we're kind of talking about school for the day. But you know, in the if it ever came up about you know why aren't, in the beginning, why aren't you eating when I'm eating? Um, we usually just talk about the fact that I'm not growing anymore, and I don't need to eat as much as they do, and as often as they do because my body's already as big as it's gonna get. and they're growing, and they need to eat more often because they have to grow their brains and grow their bodies to be strong. And so we try to Talk about frequency of eating more in that way for them.
2: Um we also sit with them, eat we'll typically lunch with them
0: mm-hmm. when
2: we're both we'll have a nice family, which is our one meal, and I'm sit with them while they talk and still have the soul aspects of the meal, just we're not eating. and really they
0: yeah. So I mean there's the young, student-
2: You've been doing it for long that I don't notice anything about it.
0: And it's a lot of it's hey, I'm gonna eat supper, come and sit and chat with me, mom. And they just we still all have the same dynamic at the table. It's just I don't need to eat when they do. And I hope that it shows them that if you're not hungry, you don't have to eat all the time. We also aren't making them finish their food before they get down from the table. It's all right, if you're done, then you can get down and you can go play or you can eat. It's up to you. But just know we're not going to eat again until supper time. So just decide if if you're hungry or not. Um, and we try to talk about food just in the way that it makes our bodies feel. When they look at old pictures of us, they are young enough. Obviously, they don't remember us from back then. So we just talk about that. That's when we used to eat too much sugar, and that that made us sick. And we have to be careful about putting protein in our bodies to make us strong and healthy. And you know, my daughter is a big steak fanatic. She's five, almost six, and she's like super steak lover. And my son has been a more of a process. He's three and, um, he is definitely way more open now. He'll eat a burger patty, you know, every day for lunch at this point when six months ago he wouldn't. And he still is like a little more difficult when it comes to an actual steak. But today he like took a bite of steak for lunch and then instantly showed us his muscles and how strong he was getting. And so we just try to talk about food in, in that regard of, keeping your body strong and healthy and your brain has to grow and needs lots of fat to make your brain grow. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the reason I bring this up too is, as, um, I think especially when, you know, if we've had trouble where we've gained weight, there's a psychology element to food and our relationship with food here. And as parents, you want to try then say, Hey, learn from my mistakes. Like I, I'm hopefully going to educate you and say, I've gone through the trials and tribulations and if there's anything I can teach you, this is what I want to teach you. So that's why I was interested now that you are carnivore and you're getting such success, like how, what you teach children might be different from what your parents taught you. Oh,
0: definitely.
1: Yeah. 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 And, uh, and even there that relationship now, um, so Laura, just your mom is carnivore and, um, those discussions you have with her now to say, Hey mom, you know, when you used to, t- I don't know if you've even had the, gone to that broach that subject
0: at all. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, what's interesting yeah. is my growing up, you know, we were a, grew our own meat. We had local meat, um, usually from a local farmer or a deer my dad killed. Um, you know, I grew up in the in a rural environment. We grew a lot of vegetables. My mom made homemade bread every day. And it wasn't until, You know, I got to late high school and college when my diet shifted to like an entirely processed food, (laughs) box food, gas station food, fast food type of diet, you know, it really wasn't until after I went away from home. And, you know, my mom and I both talk about the fact that we went through some, you know, hardships and family trauma when I was right around puberty. And that's what I think triggered for both of us, emotional eating and kind of just this convenience eating and mindless eating when you're feeling stressed and sad. And so that's when really right around the same time, my mom and I, I just had hit puberty and she, um, and I both started gaining weight together. And even though I moved out and went on my, you know, went to college and, you know, well into adulthood, we both kind of went on that same trajectory of continuing to gain weight over time. And as much as Chris and I have yo-yoed on diets, she's been in another state across the country and doing something similar. You know, we had a lot of phone calls of like, okay, we're all going to start a diet today. Let's all get on track. And then we would get together for a holiday or a birthday and we'd all kind of blow it together. So it's, I think she definitely has been in that same world now. And she was here at Christmas time and trying to learn to like not need to bake cookies with the grandkids and to not have her memories. Now with her grandkids be around food has been a really big challenge for her. And, um, it's been good for all of us. We have to learn ways to make memories that are not about food.
1: Yeah. And I, and you brought, bring up such a good point there, especially around holidays, like a Christmas holiday where, Um, maybe society would say, no, you have to eat the pecan pie. You have to eat all these other things because that's what makes Christmas. But now does it have to make Christmas and are the kids missing out because they don't get inundated with this.
0: I made it through a family reunion last summer without eating my grandmother's, you know, homemade blank. I don't want (laughs) to, you know, like her specialty food items. And that was, you know, the first time in my life that I've been able to do that. And you know what, I still had a really amazing time being with my family, even though I didn't eat that special food, you know, it it still was a wonderful visit, even without that. And so trying to reassure myself of that helps a lot. And that my kids can experience those memories without having to eat that food, too.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Um, Chris, I actually want to just ask you a couple of questions, because looking at uh, the Instagram, I mean the latest post, or I think it was today. Yeah. Laura, you shared with Chris, I mean, your health, you've come from a very dramatic place to where you are now. Can you just let people know a little bit about your background?
2: Um, I've always struggled with my weight since I was young. Um, Even as far back as high school, junior high, I was a little bit chubby. And then um, after high school, by the time I graduated high school, I was somewhere in the 250 pound range. And Um, I wound up going into the military. I had to lose 60 pounds to get into the Air Force when I joined when I was 19. And I did that eating chicken breasts and white rice and running five miles a day. And uh, it was miserable. And but I got in and then I went into the military at 180 pounds. And um, four years later, when I got out, I was 215 pounds and steadily went up year after year after year. All the way up to up to almost three hundred. And about I guess it's about five years ago now, uh, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetic. And I didn't really take that too serious at the time, as much serious as I should have. Of course, I wasn't educated on on that. I knew I had to eat better and lose weight, which is really all they tell you. Um, but I didn't take it too seriously. I took my metformin, I took my medicine every day. And went about my life and um did started the yo-yo dieting with flora and stuff at the time, but uh nothing really took hold. And then I got Christmas Day, three years ago now, um, I got necrotizing fasciitis in my left arm. Uh, an infection started uh Christmas Eve night, Christmas morning. I went to the emergency room and wound up spending seven weeks, I believe, in the hospital, um, countless surgeries. And luckily I came out with my life and my arm and another chance and it still took a good eight months to a year after that before I said, all right, you know, it's, it's really time. And that's when, for the first time I actually started researching myself, I didn't go to my doctor for help. I I felt like they were no help. They would just write a prescription, you know? And, uh,
0: I mean, he was in the hospital for that for seven weeks on the diabetic diet and, you know, I have, they were letting him eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and chicken strips and pizza for every meal. And that was his diabetic diet, right? I have a picture of him in the hospital with just his entire belly is black and blue from insulin shots because they would let him eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for his meal and then just give him insulin after every single meal. And you're, you know, he almost died in the hospital. And yet that's the way that the medical system allows that diet to be, to be handled, you know?
2: And I had a lot, I had a lot of, Trauma from from all this, and so I went through a lot of depression and anxiety and things like that, and fears of it happening again and that's kind of what led me into what causes that situation, which is like a really damaged metabolic system. Um, uh, most people that get necrotizing fasciitis are are type 2 diabetic, so I knew I learned that that um, immune dysfunction was a result of what I was eating, and that's what started taking me down the road of. Wanted to research, you know, what's the best way to handle this. So I started finding all kinds of resources on, on diet and exercise and fasting and things like that to incorporate. And that's when we really jumped in and never turned back since then. Yeah. So, and now
1: with your diabetes, how have you found it with the carnivore diets?
2: So it took me about 30 days maybe before I stopped taking my medications because my blood sugar were normal every day. Um, I went back to the doctor eight months after I started. And that's when I was at uh 178 pounds, so less than when I went into the military. And my A1C was 4.9. And
0: blood, or your blood pressure too. He was on blood pressure medication, right. um, sleep apnea machine, um, and was off of all, I mean all those medications, off of all of his blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, off of the sleep apnea machine.
2: Yeah, so I off of
0: all the any kind of like other, you know, anxiety medications.
2: Yeah, and when when he uh went through my blood work and everything, he just said I'm putting diabetes resolved on your paperwork and so I haven't been back to the doctor, I haven't had a need to.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that's a uh, you had to be able to have that that resolve word on your on your diagnostics there it must be so again where you've come from must be so um, empowering to know you could control that
2: yeah really it really um, is a light going off in in how so much is really dependent on your diet um, and so I saw somebody quote the other day saying, you know what if what if all diseases diet related and of course all diseases diet related and and it's kind of like yeah duh like um every other animal on the planet eats what it eats and doesn't have any disease really unless some pathogen comes along that's unexpected but except for humans humans are the only species that has all this chronic disease and obviously the difference is what we're feeding ourselves so and i
0: think that's part of it like you know we definitely like Chris had had some light bulbs go off along the way this time. It wasn't just about losing weight and getting skinny and, you know, um, feeling, I mean, it was, it's, you realize so much how, what your diet was doing to us and how much better we feel and what it was causing. And we can't go back to that now. You know, it's, it's, I think that's another reason why we've been able to stick to this for so long is because we educated ourselves so much around what we were doing to ourselves before.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, even amongst, because both of you can give each other feedback every day. You look, you know, you get up at breakfast and you can suddenly go, go through these regulations and say, you know, it's, you haven't talked about that for a while, or you don't mention that anymore, or I can see a difference in you now. And you, you're getting that positive feedback loop. And especially because you're so supportive of each other in this situation too.
2: One, one of the small things that, that occurred to me after about four or five, six months, I used to take two different allergy medications every day. Mm -hmm. I used to have spray. I sprayed up my nose every day just to be able to breathe. I constantly had allergies all the time. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I was not taking any of these medications anymore. And I, my nose never had so much as a sniffle. And
0: also like ibuprofen, I used to buy ibuprofen at Costco and I think that was one of those things where one day I was like, you don't, you're not out of ibuprofen yet. And he was like, oh yeah, I haven't even been taking that in a while. And so it's just something I went to go do the, I'm going to Costco, do we need ibuprofen? And he's like, no, we don't. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, even like, this was something else too, that was random, but comes up a lot. I think people are always shocked at skin tags, right? Chris used to get like all over his neck and his arms and have like skin tags everywhere. And those have been completely gone and you haven't had any in, you know, a year and a half.
2: So yeah. not just the, the weight, like you said, but just all these little things that resolve themselves. And mm-hmm. um, we don't want. I don't want to go back to that. You know?
1: Yeah. And I, I know weight is always usually the, the catch, the hook that gets people because they always, always want to manage weight. But that's why I'm bringing up this the other stuff, the psychology and these other ailments because I think it's important because now it sounds to me this is your lifestyle. You've realized this is not just for weight control.
0: And we were always able to lose weight before. Now it's it's the keeping it off and then realizing, you know, why we couldn't keep it off. And and even though we had lost weight before, we never had other health issues resolved before. And so we were just the same health, negative health image of ourselves, just skinnier before. And this is the first time that we've had, you know, health issues resolved, digestive issues resolved, and allergies and all these other random things in addition to having weight loss.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, would your tip to other people listening to this too now, because you've you've had the benefit and you've 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 had all this resolution? Do you? It's not an overnight thing. There there will be a period of time that you have to go through. Is that maybe? Is that something that maybe some other people might reach out to you? Like I know Joe Rogan's going through an experience at the moment, and everyone's talking about that, yes. and they're just like, you know, hang on, Joe, you're going to get through it. It's just a part of the process. Um, is that also what you, you try advise others who you reach out to you and say, hey, Laura, hey, Chris, I'm really struggling, da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, just keep the faith. It's okay.
0: Yeah, I think the one that I get the most is just I'm really struggling with sugar cravings or I, I'm struggling with how do you stay motivated. And some of that's like I can't find motivation for you. You're going to have to figure that out on your own. I'm sorry. But you know the problem is when you are having the sugar cravings, you have to push through. And it doesn't mean – Look, not every day through all of this has been easy. Not every, not even every day this week for me has been easy, <laughs> but I do know that, that when I push through and when I stay strong, that consistency always makes me feel better and consistency wins in the end. And so, um,
2: and then you, when you start to see the success, uh, that was a big thing mm-hmm. for us is it become, that becomes your addiction and you're feeding mm-hmm. off, you're getting your, the dopamine from the success when you see the scale and it's down and then you're looking at each other and well I'm down 5 this week and you know you know it becomes competitive even and and uh you're just driven to that that finish line which is way down the road and and, and then comes another struggle when you do hit that finish line and then to maintain there and to not celebrate with the pizza and and yeah ice cream but uh, to actually say okay now this is our lifestyle and um, People ask me if I'm going to do this forever, and it, it's a no-brainer. I don't even hesitate to say yes. So like, from where I came, I don't have a choice. Yeah. You know, I can't. I can't do that. You know, that's not to say I'm never going to have an ice cream again. I probably will at some point. That's okay. You know, but it's going to be one, and then that'll be it. You know, that's all. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: I just. I mean, as far as like a physical adaptation, when you transition over, it really depends on you know where you're coming from and how much healing your body has to do. You know, I try to not tell people exactly how things are going to be because I don't know their health, um, what they're coming from and, and what they're going to. But, you know, I do think that until you've given it a true shot of consistency for 30 days, you really, at least minimum, right. Hopefully more than that. Um, but you're not going to know that it's not working for you if you haven't given it like a decent amount of time.
1: And, it sounds like uh, you two are still mainly just beef. You're not experimenting too much with other types of meats um, or even organ meats. You, you're quite happy more with the the beef version of it.
0: We eat other meats sometimes, like if there's not any good sales. Um, I mean, I did a we did a pork roast or a pork butt, you know, yesterday. But that's the first time we've ever done that. Um, just every once in a while, we might have some shrimp. We never do any organs what whatsoever. But um, other meats kind of just come into play more so because of a cost perspective. Same thing with like eggs, but not because of preference. Our preference is definitely beef all the time. Um, I don't think we've had chicken in a really long time.
2: I eat a little more chicken from time to time. I'll, I'll play with the, the fat and protein and sometimes I'll throw in some chicken here and there. Um, she doesn't care for it too much.
0: Like maybe pork sometimes. Um, and then more than anything, like shrimp or just, but that's more just because I want to feel fancy. Right? It's a holiday. Let's feel fancy and have some shrimp with our steak. instead. <laughs> but that's about the extent of it.
1: And how have you found it as a family then from a budget perspective, like your grocery bills over the last year and a half? Do you, is it um, Has it been dramatic in any way? You know, some people would go, oh my gosh, you know, if, I, if my family had to start just eating meat, we just can't afford that. That's just, you know, that's a, it's a luxury only certain people have in mind.
0: I mean, I think eating less often is definitely a money saver when you're not eating. You know, I was eating a lot of times a day. Um, I, you know, I work outside the house and I was eating out multiple times a day. I was, I joke that I probably spent more on ice cream before than I do now on steaks. So we definitely are probably saving money at this point because um, of what we eat. We are pretty budget conscious. We shop sales, Costco, you know, I went and got the ground beef from Costco yesterday and we'll eat on that for most of this week. Um, we do eat a lot of steaks, but we live in an area where we can get that for a good price and take advantage. Um, but we just, I mean, you think about it, processed food is cheaper or, you know, junk food is cheaper, but you're going to eat a lot more of it. The volume that I was eating and the frequency that we were both eating before.
2: Um, not to mention the medical bills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, of ibuprofen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm also just thinking, have you, what's your experience been like if you go out with friends or something and they have to snack, you know, they, they're ravenous and they have to get the donut or something. And you're just like, no, it's not, it's not a problem. My life. And that, again, there's a, there's a money saving aspect to that because you you're not at the mercy of the marketing there.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. We, I mean, even just traveling, I travel some for my job and the amount of money that I used to spend on like airport food and airport snacks was substantial. And I could go and, you know, travel across the country and not eat anything for the entire day. When before I might've spent, I mean, 30, $40 just on snacks and foods during my layovers and at the airport during that day. And now I just don't even need to eat anything. Mm -hmm. there's something liberating about not needing to be worried about like where am I going to find food every minute and I have a five-hour flight what am I going to eat well I don't need to eat anything for the next five hours like I'll be totally fine
1: yeah and that brings up a good one so how do you incorporate this way of lifestyle with travel easy enough if you if so it's easy within your comfort zones of your town but now once you've left there like how do you get any apprehension like of I'm not going to be able to source meat properly when I travel to X town or X place.
0: I think for me, it's definitely not. I mean, I'm pretty open about meat that I eat and eating meat from a normal steakhouse is fine because it's pretty easy to find a steak or a burger with no bun on it anywhere I go. Um, That makes it really simple. The other thing is I'm not afraid to not eat. So if I, if I only have to eat once a day, I just, I travel a lot with other people for my job. Like, you know, it's not really my decision where we go. And so I, I do try to find out where we're going to go ahead of time. So I can maybe look at the menu or call ahead and at least have a plan together and know that, well, there's nothing really at this place that I can eat. Uh, I'll just make sure I eat lunch today so that when we go to this corporate dinner later tonight, I don't need to have anything at all. And so, At some point over the course of 24 hours, I could find some meat somewhere. Even if it's fast food burger patties, I'm not um, worried about that. And like I I said, I'm definitely not afraid to just sit at a group dinner and not eat. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So when you go to restaurants, do you have to pretend you're just gluten-free and that's why you don't want the bread?
0: Right. I mean, it's not that I usually say, what's your biggest steak? Uh, Can I have just that on the plate with nothing else? Thanks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um. So who's the cook in the family?
2: It used to be me, yeah. but I taught her well. And now she's, uh,
0: I mean, about a year ago, uh, Chris went out of town for the weekend to see some buddies and really for that, at that point he had been grilling everything I ever, if I needed a steak grilled, he had to do it. And if he wasn't going to be around or he was going to be gone for the afternoon, he would have to cook for me before, after. And I thought, well, he's going to be gone for four days. I'm either going to starve or I'm going to learn how to grill. And so I learned how to grill over those four days. And now I'm, I'm really good at
2: it. Yeah,
0: Right. Yeah. I, that's one of my favorite things now is I love teaching women how to, because I was so intimidated by the grill and it's so easy and it's so simple and it's way, I'm way better at it now. And so I love teaching women how to grill and hopefully making them not be intimidated by cooking expensive steaks or cheap steaks um, and, a, and a big grill.
1: So Even there, um, the, you can have a cheaper cut of meat, but you can make it taste good just by the way that you cook it. Um, if you had to give one or two easy tips for someone listening to this before they start watching more of your YouTube channel, uh, videos about how to cook, um, if they had a, a cheaper cut of meat, how would they make it taste better? What's, what's a key factor you would try Guide them
0: on. I mean, I think
2: usually lower and slower is best for a cheap cut of meat. Um, so something like a chuck or a, a round or something you would uh, maybe sous vide or uh, um, reverse sear of some kind, where you you know you cook it in the oven at a really low temperature for a long time and then uh, finish it on high heat. That would be my recommendation.
0: I think for cooking a steak. The best things that he taught me and that I think I hear the most when I teach other people about is, um, you know, you, everybody, you can grill the meat. It's You take the meat out of the fridge and if you just grill it and then eat it right away, you're missing out on two key elements. And and there's the first tip is to let the meat sit out of the fridge for about an hour before you cook it. Um, really as long as possible because it's going to take that chill from the fridge off and it's going to cook more evenly because it's not as cold going from like the fridge cold straight to the grill. uh, And that really helps it to cook more evenly. And then the second thing is just to let it rest when you take it off the grill and let it kind of reabsorb those juices. If you cut into that steak right away, it's going to release all those juices all over and you're going to end up with a drier piece of meat. And yet there's Mm -hmm. a pool of liquid all over your plate. So you think this is the juiciest steak, but I can't chew it. And it's like really you're chewing and chewing because your plate's full of all the good juice the steak should have reabsorbed. So um i do have to give chris credit he taught me those two things but when i teach other people how to cook steaks those are usually the two things that they're like light bulb that's what i've been doing wrong this whole time and also
2: when you're eating it or slicing it always cut against the grain of the muscle that will make it more tender and juicy
0: especially for like cheaper cuts of of meat yeah Yeah.
2: because i'm just thinking again especially when someone
1: starts again we'll carnival month to have a successful 30 days, I think you've, a lot of people don't know how to cook meat properly. And right. so it, it's, it's hindering their um, enjoyment of that month too, where they're like, oh man, this is just, as you said, <laughs> this is dry, chewy. Like, why, why would I keep doing this?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Knowing how to cook a good steak, I think that's where we kind of finally convinced my mom to do it. She thought she liked steak well done, and we have really taught her to appreciate a decent medium steak cooked, you know, properly, and she realizes that she likes steak a lot more than she thought she did.
1: Mhm. So we talked about your lifestyles, but again, I've, I've alluded to a little bit earlier how you've I do feel you've both of you've transitioned into mentors now for the community too. So What are some of the common things that you keep hearing from people, and especially now this month, that you maybe just want to help them again to say, hey, don't worry, this, or I I think I saw today, Laura, you keep getting asked about what blood type are you? And is it that?
0: Yeah, I I have no idea. Um, I do get asked that a lot. People are wanting to know. Everybody assumes that all carnivores are, I think it's the O blood type, right? Or what is it? one of the blood types is supposed, there's a book, right, about the blood type diet. And um, Dr. Barry always says that what type of human that doesn't need, a what blood type are you that means you don't need a proper human diet? Um, and so I know, I think that there's no blood type that means you shouldn't be carnivore or that you're not a human that's the same digestive system. You know, your your blood type doesn't change your intestines and your, your entire digestive system. Um,
2: I think, as far as people starting out, uh, like what we were talking about earlier is like you got there there's there's a willpower thing there that you have to yeah. overcome. You've got to push through that that first couple weeks can be pretty difficult psychologically and physically there will be there will be um, symptoms to that. Some people have it worse than others with that, but um eat a lot, eat whenever you want during that time period. you know if you're tempted to grab a cupcake grab some more bacon, grab some cheese, do some, whatever you have to do to push through. And then all of a sudden the sky lights up and you're like, okay. And then that's when you start to see the real, the real benefits.
0: I think people try to optimize and be perfect from the very beginning. Like what's my perfect fat to protein ratio? What's my perfect electrolyte balance, my perfect organ ratio or not. And yeah, I think that overwhelms people a lot. And I think you have to be as simple as you need to be or as few restrictions as you need to be. Um, eat meat that you enjoy as often as you like in the very beginning and and over time, for most people very quickly, for us, very quickly, you will find a natural rhythm with your meals and within a month or two at most, we were down to one meal a day just from an because that's what we felt natural doing um. But I think if from day one I said I'm going to do one meal a day, that would have been really overwhelming to me and caused me to to have some problems. You know, somebody messaged me yesterday and said, "Can I have some pork rinds as a snack? Is is pork rinds a good idea?" And I said, "Hey, you know what? Long term, it's probably you know best case is to call. However, rinds are a really option right now. Uh um, if you're Fiji and you're watching, yes, I." don't want to give into that and you want to not snack. Is pork rinds a great choice? Absolutely. You have to do what you need to do in the beginning to just, you know, get yourself through, get yourself off of all the sugar out of that transition phase. And then over time, based on your results, you can make some changes and try to optimize things, you know, worry about your fat to protein ratio three months down the road. When you have three months of results to look at, is there a problem? Are you stalled? Are you losing too much weight? Are you not losing enough weight? Then make an adjustment, but don't worry about what it is until you've done it for a long time, just based on what you enjoy. Right. I had no idea what a fat to protein ratio was. I just knew I liked ribeyes. I was losing weight eating ribeyes. And it worked. When I started worrying about my fat to protein ratio, it definitely threw my head for uh, all out of whack and threw my body out of whack too. When I just was trying to force something.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key thing I've noticed too is the apprehension that it's too simple. Like you can't be this simple, and especially coming from either a ketogenic or a low carb community where
2: you may
1: have exactly the macros, and you're trying to figure out these percentages and. Read all these labels and figure out all these net carbs. Um, but now suddenly the, the carnivore is just too simple. Like it can't be that simple.
0: We were doing that tracking in, in the apps and thinking about, you know, how much carbs are in mushrooms, you know, back when we were eating that type of thing. And it's just, it's too overwhelming. And I think people try to take that overwhelming approach and put that into carnivore as well when it can be so much more simple than that.
2: You know, a lot of people ask, what what supplements do I need to take or what, right. what, you know, how much organ meat should I eat how much this, so just eat what you like, eat what's sustainable for you, get through it. And then if you want to, if you're not feeling well, or you want to tweak later, then tweak later. I think if somebody came to me and said, you're going to do this diet, you have to take this supplement and you have to eat frozen liver and you have to eat, you know, brains once a week. I would have said, all right, I'm going to go back to eating pizza. Like, so the people that are new, it's it's like you know, what's what's your favorite cut of meat that you've had all your life? Eat that, eat that So you can't eat no more, and then do it again tomorrow. Like start there, and then down the road think about other things. Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't the fact that better eating basis. I think that's great, and if you do feel better doing that, then you should eat that if you like it. Um, we don't, but I also don't feel like I'm missing anything. I guess if that makes sense. So you know, I think based on how you feel is, is what you should try to make adjustments towards.
1: Perfect. Well, I think that's good transition here where I, um, I just want to thank you both for the knowledge that you've shared there, because I think the reason I, I like doing these interviews is because people need to hear success stories and they need to hear the reality of it from other people. And you are going to help mentor others on their journey too. I know that's going to be happening here. So how can people follow you or keep in touch with you? Or even if they want to ask you questions, what are the social links or your or your YouTube channel?
0: The, that's the best one is on, on YouTube. We try to have a, a full picture of our story there uh, and go into like detailed timelines on weight loss and things. So that's Laura Spath on YouTube. And then we're both on Instagram. Um, you know, Chris is the brains behind all this, but I definitely am more active with social media. And so I'm Laura E. Spath. On uh, Instagram, and
2: I'm Chris J. Spath. Yes,
0: yeah. but that, <laughs> we're so original. So, we had these uh, accounts. <laughs> on my
2: page. Yeah,
0: we had these accounts uh, long before we had ever done this diet and, and planned to just be like, you know, I was just posting pictures of our kids at Christmas, and that was the extent of it before um, it turned into all this. So it is what it is. It <laughs> works.
1: Well, I look forward to when I see you two on the cover of a cookbook and, you know, you and you're on TV and all the other things and yeah, <laughs> then the branding can come on later on.
0: Right, exactly.
1: I, yeah. But yeah, Laura and Chris, um, thank you again so much for your time today. And just thank you for sharing, being so honest and uh, yeah, just allowing people to listen to your journey.
0: Thank you so much, Gary. We thank appreciate you, Gary. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.